Hello, my name is Joel McMahon, and I'm pastor at St. Philip United Methodist Church in St. Philip, Texas, and I want to welcome you to our podcast at this time. And if you have any prayer requests or any special needs that you'd like for me to pray with you about, please uh, email us or get in touch with us uh, uh, in any of the ways that you find uh, on uh, this broadcast to do so. Let's start with just a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for all that you've done and continue to do in our lives. This is another weekend on lockdown for most of us, but while we're waiting for this virus to come to an end, we can still enjoy a closer walk with you. And we welcome this time when we can draw near to you. We know that whatever comes our way, we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. May you continue to heal us, to comfort us, and keep us covered in the precious blood of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson today is found in Paul's epistle to the Romans. We'll be reading from the 8th chapter, the 12th through the 18th verses. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the scripture lesson that we just read, we find these words. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. And the first thing I'd like to point out to you uh, today is that the Bible makes it absolutely clear that if you belong to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. It's a part of the salvation experience. It's a part of being born again. Jesus promised that if you loved him, he would love you, and his heavenly Father would love you, and they would come and dwell in you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that every Christian knows is that Jesus keeps his promises. When we gave our lives to the Lord, he fulfilled that promise that he and the Father would come and dwell in us through the presence of his Holy Spirit. 
And what I want us to look at today are two wonderful things the Spirit attests to in the heart of every believer. If you've been doubting your salvation, I hope that this message will help bring you to that place of confidence that first of all, you are saved, you are his, and secondly, that you have a formidable, to put it mildly, inheritance. Paul says that the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. One of the ways that he does this is that uh, uh, he fills us with his love. He assures us that our sins of the past are forgiven and that we are acceptable to him. He also does this by convicting us of sin. When we find ourselves, after we've been saved, uh, being tempted, he testifies. He bears witness. And how he bears witness is this isn't pleasing to the Lord. You're a child of the most high and holy God. This is beneath you. Your heavenly Father has better in store for you than this. He is testifying by leading you, as it says in Romans 8:14. And if you are led by him, you're in the family. If you are led by him, you're his child. So one of the ways the Holy Spirit is testifying that you're a child of God is that when sin happens in your life, you battle it. There's a war going on. We've talked about this for the last three weeks. You hate it. If you're frustrated and angry at the sin in your life right now, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. He is loud, witnessing right now in your heart that you hate what you did yesterday. You wish that you hadn't done it. It grieves your heart that you spoke that way to your wife, that you clicked onto that pornography, that you were dishonest in that transaction. It's grieving to your heart right now. If it is, that's God working in your life. That is the Holy Spirit testifying, and he is saying, you're mine. Now, there's a second way that the Holy Spirit testifies, which is from Romans uh, uh, 8.15. In the second half, he says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, let me stop right here and say that there are a lot of people say, we're all children of God. Uh, everybody, no matter uh, whether they're Christians or not, we're all children of God. The thing is, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And it is when you accept that and you open your heart to do things the way that he has called you to do it, and that is to repent of your sin, turn from the former life that you've been living, and instead receive the forgiveness that he offered, that he offers to you by dying on the cross, receiving that the price that he paid in his precious blood was a sufficient sacrifice for your sins, and receive that he did that so that you could be at one with the Father to make a way for you to be 
connected to the Father in a way that would make you a child of God. When you do that, when you call upon his name and you receive what he did for you and you give your life to him, that's when you become a child of God. And that's when he sends his Holy Spirit into your life. And as you open your life and you receive whatever he has in store for you, you'll know his Holy Spirit is there in your heart. And he says, you have received the spirit of adoption as children, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So where does this cry come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. And by the Spirit, we're crying, Abba, Father. So I would ask you, does your heart cry to God, Father, my Father, my authority, my provider, my Father? Now, you could program a computer to say, Abba, Father, but that doesn't mean the computer's a child of God. An unbeliever can utter the words, and so the words coming out of our mouth are not really what's at issue here. The key word is cry. By the Holy Spirit, we cry. And Paul doesn't use the word cry mechanically. When you cry, it comes from your heart. Your heart looks up and you cry out as one loved by their heavenly father. Father, I need you. Father, I'm just a little child. Father, I am helpless in this world. Father, I see all these horrible things going on around me. Father, I need you. Father, I've messed up again. Father, please forgive me and help me. Father, this world is in such a mess. What do I do, Father? Even embedded in that cry is the evidence that God is your Father and you've been granted access to his throne of grace. If that is the way your heart cries, that is of the Holy Spirit. So you see, you can know. He inclines your heart to hate your sin, to make war on it, and to kill the sinful desires of the body, and thus he shows you that you are Christ's. He wells up within you, creating a sense of need, a sense of helplessness, a sense of insecurity, a sense of vulnerability. I need you, God. I need you as Father. I'm so orphan-like. And of course, Self-sufficient people don't talk like that. And therefore, let's face it, they're not Christian. And it's sad to say they're not yet children of God. It doesn't mean that they can't become children of God. The Holy Spirit humbles us to the point where we hate sin and need a father. That's parts, those are two parts of his witness. He is witnessing by awakening a longing for a father in God and awakening a hatred of sin, which opposes that longing. You can feel the work of the Holy Spirit within you. 
Now, here's another way the Holy Spirit bears witness in our hearts that we are children and heirs. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 confirms that we have just uh, uh, seen uh, about, or what we have just seen about the Holy Spirit testifying. It testifies, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, what does it mean to say that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the witness and power and working of the Holy Spirit in your life? The answer is that no one can authentically say with meaning from the heart, he's my authority, he's my king, he's my treasure. I live for him. You can't talk like that without the Holy Spirit. And if your heart leaps up to say that, then the Holy Spirit of God is testifying that you are a child of God. That's the way he does it. No one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. No one can say it and mean it. No one can say it and want it, except by the Spirit. Therefore, if you can say it and mean it, and if you say it and want it, then the Holy Spirit is at work testifying in your life. Another one of the evidences that you're a child of God, which the Holy Spirit is giving you right now, is that you really want to be a child of God. It sounds good to you. You don't say, ah, oh, maybe, I don't know if I'm ready for all that stuff. If that's true, the Holy Spirit is not doing that. But if you're saying, wow, this is awesome. With my inheritance as a child of God, I can endure anything. Then the Holy Spirit is at work in you. It's the Holy Spirit's assurance to us in the here and now that makes us know that we have a tremendous, fabulous inheritance and helps us to bear the tough times we face while we wait for the Lord's coming. Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul wants you to share, just like he does, in such a stupendous hope of things, glorious things that will be given to you and revealed to you such that the sufferings become as nothing. When you cry to, uh, or when you try to weigh how good it's going to be with the inheritance against how bad it is right now, the inheritance outweighs the suffering totally. That's the point that Paul is trying to make in Romans 18, 18. The inheritance that's promised to us is the glory that is to be revealed to us and it is so great as to make every trouble seem small. And so what is this inheritance? Three different things. First of all, our inheritance is the world. Romans 4.13 says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring 
is that he would be heir of the world. And that did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. To Abraham and his descendants, God promises the world as a part of their inheritance. Now, the question comes, do all you Gentiles qualify to be Abraham's offspring? Well, here's what Galatians 3.29 says, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. That is, if you belong to the Messiah, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. It couldn't be clearer. If you belong to Messiah Jesus, you are an heir of Abraham. Abraham's heirs inherit the world. Doesn't this remind you of the Beatitudes? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the earth. That's a pretty big inheritance, don't you think? So let me ask you, are you scrounging? Are you at war with a sibling over an inheritance? Shame on you. Let them have it. You own the world. It's just a matter of time. One of the ways that we get radically changed is with the way we regard stuff. We own stuff. The prosperity gospel says you have to have it now. The Bible says you get it later. Give it now. He's, the way that Jesus says it is, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now listen to this. You've heard me say this several times the last few weeks. And it's what the Christian life is really all about. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be forever. The first answer to the question, what's your inheritance, is everything that God ever made is yours. Now, that's so spectacular it needs some support. So look at Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. So what does God have? What does God own that he could put in the will for his children when his son dies? Everything, the world and all it contains, the earth and those who dwell therein. When you read 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23, all things are, year, are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death. When you read those words, are you excited? Death is yours. Now you're probably thinking, what in the world does that mean? I don't think I want that. You know, death. No, thank you. I don't think uh, I'll, that's a... I want that part of the inheritance. But that's what 1 Corinthians 3.22 says. Death is yours. Now, let's get real practical for a minute. If there are two cars in the parking lot and somebody says, which one is yours? And you say, that one is mine. That, that, that Buick over there, you know, the brownish blackish one. 
What do you mean when you're saying that? You're saying, well, I can get in it. I can drive it. It's mine. I can do with it what I want. It serves me. It's there for my disposal. It's there to meet my needs. I get groceries in it. I go to the doctor in it. I use it. It's mine. It helps me get where I want to go. It satisfies the needs or satisfies the needs it's supposed to satisfy. And that is what it means for death to be yours. It does what it's supposed to do. It gets you where you want to go. It meets your needs. And so does everything else. But just before I move on, just think about that. You own death. Now, for those who love God, all things work together for good, you see. Even death. A little further on in Romans, uh, in 8.35, Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Now, you should be responding, no, they can't separate us because they're mine. Meaning, they're my servants. Persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. They're mine. They serve me. Isn't that what the text says? It is, because next it says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Have you ever thought about what it means to be more than a conqueror? You know, it's already good to be a conqueror. Why would you need more? What's more than a conqueror? If you're in a battle with tribulations, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, and you're the conqueror, they lie prostrate at your feet. And the Bible says you're more. Now, what's better than that? What's better than that is if they get up and serve you. If they're laying prostrate at your feet, that's fine. You say, I've conquered you. I'm a conqueror over tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness. I'm triumphant. But the Bible says it gets better because you can say, get up and serve me. You're mine. You're my slave. You serve me. Tribulation serves you. Famine serves you. They are yours. Everything is working together for your good now. Everything. And for your satisfaction and everlasting joy in the age to come with no downside anymore. I think that's pretty practical. You just have to believe it. So what is your inheritance? Everything. The world. All that's in it, including all the pain. It's yours. Under God's fatherly providence, everything serves you. But there's more to your inheritance, the second part of your inheritance, and the greatest part of our inheritance. God is our inheritance. Romans 5.11 says, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
through whom we have now received reconciliation. My final boast, my final treasure, my final exultation and joy is not anything that God has made, but God himself. That's my treasure. Remember where your treasure is. That's where your heart is. That's my ultimate inheritance. God gives me himself. In Revelation 21.3 we read, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. God himself will be with them as their God. That's the final paradise. Yes, there'll be a new heaven. There'll be a new earth. There'll be a new everything serving us. But the way it will serve us is by intensifying our capacities to discern the glories of the God whom we've grown to love and to trust so much. We will see God in everything. We will love him in everything. All food and all the beauties of nature and all the sweetness of relationships won't be idolatrous anymore. There won't even be a whiff of temptation to be idolatrous in the age to come. Everything will be enjoyed for itself as a catapult into God's worship. And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you, David says in Psalm 73. Now, if God himself is not precious to you, then you're a stranger to that inheritance. If you only love God because of his gifts and not because of his beauty, his sweetness, his justice, his goodness, his kindness, his meekness, his mercy, his grace, then you are a stranger to your inheritance and it's not yours yet because you see God is the apex of our inheritance. One last thing that's a part of our inheritance, a glorified body, all the bodies on earth are dying. They're all decaying, they're wearing out, and that's a sad thing. Plato and all his heirs thought, good riddance, get rid of this body. Let my spirit be free. But that's not scriptural, and that's not biblical religion. You get a new body, but you don't throw a body away. This body becomes a glorified body, like the resurrected body of Jesus. He ate fish after the resurrection for a reason. He was, going to, he was showing us that we was, he was not a ghost. He said that ghosts do not have flesh and blood like him. He invites the disciples to touch him and ask if they have anything to eat, and he ate fish before them. And so I fully anticipate good fish in the kingdom and good stakes in the kingdom, and a lot of other good stuff. It's going to be wonderful. 
all that stuff that you're not supposed to eat now, miraculously, it'll be healthy for us forever because we get glorified bodies. I really believe that. It may be funny, but I believe that. Everything good in this world that has a downside to it because of the fall won't have a downside anymore. Paul had no shame in saying, I am so ready for that new body. I'm just so ready. Look, there's how he puts it. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, Paul suffered more than any of us ever will. His back must have been just one tangled mass of scarred flesh because he was beaten nearly 40 times and he was lashed five times. I can't imagine. He was ready for a new body. And the older you get, the more you're going to understand this. As the Holy Spirit testifies that you are his, he also assures you you'll get this inheritance. And the evidence that he is working in you is that what I'm describing to you right now sounds good. It sounds attractive. And you really want God. You'd love to live in the new heavens and earth. And you'd love to have a new body so that you could have the capacities to enjoy it purely and not sinfully. And my prayer for you now is that God would quicken the witness of the Holy Spirit, causing you to call out Abba, Father, and causing you to hate the sin in your life and to recognize why you're hating the sin in your life. It's because God is working in your life. If those two things are happening, then the Spirit is speaking loud and clear into your life, and he's saying, you're mine. Now, if all of this rings true, but you haven't had that voice of the Holy Spirit, that presence of God in your life, the Spirit of God leading you through love and through conviction, if you've just been anxious about life, and you realize that what I'm talking about brings peace, brings freedom from fear of death, freedom for, from fear of all this chaotic stuff that's going on around us, then that's the Holy Spirit calling you to come to the Father through Jesus the Son. And if you'd like to do that right now, just pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, I'm tired of trying to live this life on my own. I thank you that you made it clear to me that you have a life that's so much better for me 
than I have right now. Thank you for calling me to be yours. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin and making a way for me to rec be reconciled to God. Thank you for that. And Lord, I know I'm not worthy of your forgiveness, but out of your love for me, you died for me. Even when I was unlovely and unlovable, and I'm feeling like that right now, but I realize that you do love me. You love me even in spite of myself. And so, Lord, here I am, and I come to you just as I am. Fulfill your promise, I pray, as I reach out to you now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to walk with you from this day forward. Amen. Father, for those who just prayed that prayer, I pray that you will now fulfill the, the, the promise of your word that our Lord said that he and you would come and through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, reveal yourself to him and to, uh, and to just, just fill their lives with your presence and your goodness and your love and your peace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.